All right, hello, and welcome to episode one of my brand new podcast, So Let's Talk Horror. I'm your host, Chris McAfee. In today's uh, episode, we're going to be highlighting a movie that's pretty near and dear to me uh, titled The Headhunter. Doesn't that sound cool? The Headhunter. It's uh, pretty simple. It's it's straight to the point. It's giving you exactly what you would expect it to give you and uh, aptly titled, and uh, it's quite cool. I'm, I'm very happy to report that this is this is a really really cool movie and it's even better than i expected so um this was actually originally titled uh the head uh prior to it being released and they read retooled the the actual working title of the movie which i'm kind of glad that they went with the the headhunter it, it it fits the scope of the movie a little bit better and uh is quite cool it just sounds pretty badass you know um, the release the release date, according to IMDb, the ever reliable, uh, was provided. It was uh, wrapped in 2018 and then uh, was released April 5th, 2019. Uh, I saw it shortly thereafter. And uh, the general synopsis of the film: basically, we have a warrior serving as this rogue external guard or protector of this fantastical kingdom, where his gruesome collection of heads is missing only one: the monster that killed his daughter years ago. For now, he awaits and is pursuant of the final confrontation to avenge his daughter's death and to finally put her soul at peace. Vengeance is coming. Isn't that an awesome tagline? That last line there, vengeance is coming, that's actually taken off of the uh, physical DVD uh, release, the physical box itself. Uh, it's the tagline off the front of the cover, uh, which I thought was, was pretty cool. So this fine film is directed by a one Jordan Downey. Uh, fun fact about Jordan is that he is a fellow Ohioan, so I always like to note uh, where I catch somebody coming from the, the great state of Ohio doing something spectacular, and this definitely fits the bill, uh, so I thought that was kind of cool. And uh, anyway, his filmography is pretty interesting. Uh, this is his most recent uh, feature to date and probably most ambitious uh, by far. Uh, he's got two other full-length uh, features under his name uh, being one of Thanks Killing and two of Thanks Killing 3 fame. Uh, he wrote and directed those at 20 years old in collaboration with a longtime uh, good friend, Kevin Stewart. Uh, Kevin was actually very instrumental in pretty much all things related to bringing the headhunter to life as well. Uh, Jordan was quoted as always being a big fan of schlocky horror movies, specifically of the holiday varietals. And Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving 3 are basically like his love letter to that campy cult horror genre. And I thought that was pretty cool. So a couple things about that. Um, I don't, I didn't know anything about either of these two titles. And, uh, so now that they're on my radar, I'm definitely going to seek those out and check those out. Um, they sound like a lot of fun. They sound like actually really great titles to have, uh, a big group, uh, kind of host a big group and, uh, see them that way with, with a bunch of people and just kind of enjoy them that way. Um, the other thing that was, was always kind of cool and something that I look forward to is just around the holidays, finding, um, horror specific titles that are really connected to a certain holiday and uh and these definitely seem like they'll, they'll fit the bill there there aren't many if at all that i can think of that are specifically tied to thanksgiving so that would definitely fit the rotation of these work and i'm sure that they will uh so so that's cool 
Jordan actually has a few shorts to his credit as well. Uh, one being um, that I'm going to highlight is an acclaimed fan film uh, titled Critters Bounty Hunter. And uh, I can say that I'm a big fan of the Critters franchise, so I'll definitely be looking for that one as well. And then a second that I thought sounded pretty interesting, uh, titled Techno Western, which is, which is a dark crime drama. So that sounded like a lot of fun, too. Uh, moving through the credits for the film, uh, we have producer credits for both Kevin Stewart and Ricky Fosheim. Uh, they were both very instrumental in bringing this thing to life. Um, writer, writing credits belong to Jordan Downey and Kevin Stewart. And uh, moving into the filming location, this film is really beautiful. Uh, the setting is gorgeous, and uh, I really it really serves the movie well. Um, this was filmed in northern countryside of Portugal, more specifically at Kevin Stewart's grandmother's home in this remote village. And Jordan had even said, like, there's only a handful of people maybe in the village uh, area itself. Um, so the hut, uh, more sp- specifically on Kevin's grandmother's property, was used as, as the setting or the cabin for our main character, the warrior, uh, and the father of the film. Um, it was a little old stone grain mill, some 200 years old, on the property used for uh, previously for grinding wheat into flour. And uh, they were able to kind of, uh, in pre-production, get this thing set up, this this, uh, grain mill set up as uh, the active uh, hut for for the main character. And they really, really did a nice job with this aesthetically. Uh, So more on that later. But uh, working through the actual uh, casting credits of the film, um, this is a pretty short list. Uh, The daughter in the movie is played by Akora Kaufman. Uh, and this is her first acting credit. Uh, the head, which is credited to an Aisha Ricketts. Hopefully I'm, I'm saying that first name correctly. And then uh, the, the main character and pretty much the lead in this film uh, solely is the father of the warrior, played by a Norwegian actor, uh, Christopher Rieg, or Rieg. I'm not sure, the, sure of the, the exact pronunciation of the last name. Hopefully I'm not butchering that too bad. But... Um, I was really, really impressed uh, with Christopher Reeg. He's he's got the look. I mean, he's got the, he's got the beard. He's got the hair. He's got the physicality. Uh, it, it just he carries the part really, really well. It's what you would expect. Um, and uh, and he actually does a phenomenal job of, of selling this. And it's a lot of weight. I mean, he, this is basically a silent movie, and he's the only person in it. Um, for a very large majority of the film, and so uh, for this being his first uh, lead role, I was I couldn't have been more impressed. Couldn't have been more impressed. And actually, he looked really familiar to me. Um, I've seen uh, several films that I was kind of associating this to, and specifically a very specific actor, uh, director, and Jeremy Gardner, uh, who he looks uncannily like. And uh, there's there's three movies that I'm actually going to highlight that uh, Jeremy is a part of. Um, that if you haven't heard of, uh, I would highly, highly, highly recommend. They're more recent releases, but I would highly, highly re- recommend checking out any one of these three. They're fantastic films. Um, and that is uh, Jeremy uh, wrote, directed, and starred in a movie called The Battery, which is basically a uh, post-apocalyptic uh, movie, zombie-esque type film uh, set in like a New England uh, type setting. 
and and that's fantastic. Uh, I would highly recommend that. Uh, the second movie uh, he he has an acting credit in. It's a movie called Bliss. Uh, that I had previously previously seen this past fall in like this horror horror film festival uh, for the first time and was completely blown away by this film. Uh, it delves mostly into like vampire culture and uh, is is absolutely excellent. And then the third film, which I fell in love with, uh, was is is titled After Midnight. And After Midnight is more of like a love story slash creature feature. Uh, and it is excellent. And he actually wrote, directed, and starred in that one as well. So uh, the only caveat to the three would basically be uh, the movie Bliss. Is just be very careful if you do watch this movie. Uh, Bliss is got some pretty strong content and visuals in it. So uh, if you have young kids, um, this is probably not something that would be appropriate for them. Um, there is drug use. There is uh, strong sexual content. Uh, there's nudity. Uh, sex, um, strong language. It's really adrenaline filled. It's pretty bonkers, um, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's just very adult. So be mindful of that. Uh, so moving forward, um, Christopher Reig, uh, who is not Jeremy Gardner, um, <laughs> is, uh, they look very similar, um, really does a phenomenal job with this role. And I'm fairly certain this will not be the last time we see him. I'm hoping to see him in, in many more things, and I'm sure that he will, uh, based off, off the success of what he was able to do here. So uh, moving through uh, some of the rest of the credits of the film, the main monster was actually the creature design was credited to a Troy Smith, uh, who did a really nice job with that. Um, I was blown away by the costume design of our main character and uh, our, our warrior um, and that was produced and, and created by an Andre Bravin of Sweden uh, and his company who runs Patina Leathercraft. And uh, they really specialize in like homemade props and armory um, or armor. And man, was this cool, like really authentic looking, really, really neat. It just it really sells the film. It sells the character. So um, and that that's. That's really to to the to the uh, I, I guess to to the work of of, of Andre on on this costume. Um, he did a, a spectacular job in this. So uh, moving further into like the actual creature designs outside of the main monster, which I was talking about before, credited to Troy Smith. Um, all the additional monsters and props and sets were either created in or modified heavily by both Jordan and Kevin with the help of. Uh, with with their friend uh ricky so that was uh that was something that was pretty neat and in pre-production uh jordan went on to say in his interview uh which i'll speak on later um he he basically went to a spirit store and bought up everything that felt medieval uh so all the masks all the props all the weaponry all the chains and traps etc that would be relevant he bought these during like a post halloween sale and he put them all in storage and, and preparation for this film. So from there, they were able, uh, him and Kevin, they were able to uh, use basically like these uh, plastic, plastic drop cloths over the masks. And they, they took heat guns to them. And what it would do is shrink wrap to the mask. And then um, it would give this really neat texture to the masks and create like kind of these veins through it. 
and then from there they could kind of repaint the masks and set them up and then they look like they had this uh, aesthetic of decay so when you're seeing the heads that uh, the warriors coming back with um, they, they man they they really look unique and cool and um, that's one thing that that I can say more specifically about what they did with the monsters is that you know for this type of genre of film being it's medieval and it's in this kingdom and you have all these fantastical creatures you know you can probably expect that you're going to hit a tick list of like hey there's probably going to be a troll and hey there might be a dragon and hey there might be some hairy beast thing that you know this guy takes on at some point um and you know it kind of checks through that but the cool thing was was that when you're actually visually seeing this throughout the movie um in these heads that that the warriors coming back with from these fantastic from these fight sequences um they don't they they all look very uniquely different from what you would expect um they, they did such a good job of creating something um unique to this world and it felt that way you know it didn't feel like it was some regurgitated monster that you've seen a hundred times over in previous films and shows right so they all just had this this really neat aesthetic to them and no two one and two were, were the same so i thought that was really notable and cool so a great 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 job done uh, on that so moving into the filming uh, jordan and kevin basically had three weeks of lead time uh, prior to chris the main character being on location uh, to get the set in the grounds where they needed uh, prior to any filming taking place and uh, that was really important that they wanted really or it was would seem like as they wanted the aesthetic of the hut and the grounds to look really lived in like he had been there most of his life um, in this in the surrounding in this kingdom or in this this general location specifically so uh, so they did that and then they gave him a little extra time to work on any additional masks and, and prop prep uh, prior to, um, you know, jumping into the filming. Uh, this actually had to be done, uh, Jordan had said, because Chris's arrival, they only basically only had him for a set month or 30 days. So filming started basically when Chris arrived on location, like he was there and then they, they went right to it. So... The film itself was shot digitally with a small camera a lens package and a shotgun mic. Uh, so they really didn't have a sound team. You know, basically they had the shotgun mic on camera. And uh, I was really actually impressed. It seemed like they used a lot of what would be that, that, uh, that, that audio that they took um, throughout the film and it served it well. So uh, it seemed like, you know, what they were able to get, uh, it worked, worked quite effectively. Uh, throughout the film too, which is which is pretty great. Um, one of the highlight highlighted uh, background facts of the of this film um, that that really blows my mind is that, and I, I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around it is that this movie was put together on a ridiculously low budget, uh, and for the for the scope and scale that you see visually and how rich and aesthetically pleasing this 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 world uh, comes across visually uh it, it just man it blows my mind that so they ended up putting this thing together on basically 30 grand so thirty thousand dollars and and this is what they came out with and it just man it's so cool 
I'm just kind of at a loss. Uh, really, really neat. So I'll get into a lot of like the different things aesthetically that resonate. And um, I just, it really is a testament uh, to how talented uh, Jordan and his crew and everybody was. Um, and, you know, Chris putting all the, all this together the way that they did. Um, it's really impressive. So in terms of, of the aesthetic, uh, some of the things that really resonated that, that I highlighted um, was that we, we get this really rich world um, provided for the audience, uh, and it feels very large in, in scope or scale, uh, which is an extremely unique uh, property given the fact that it's on this ridiculously small actual budget of 30 grand, right? Um, so that's really impressive. Um, one of the things that I think helped with that is that um, what you see at times is limited. And for example, um, when we have the warrior called into action throughout the kingdom to deal with these you know, monsters in the territory, um, the fight sequences are typically handled a large majority of the time throughout the film um, off screen. And that might sound lame, but really it isn't. And I'll get into that in a second. Um, but this is a, it seems like this is a very deliberate choice by the director. And one, yeah, it definitely helped the budget. Uh, but two, um, I, I think that's where the intelligence lies. Um, one of the things that resonated with me or that I thought was pretty neat is that films anymore don't leave much to the imagination um, in that you see everything you know, and it's a lot of it's handled with like CGI and practical effects and this and that. And, uh, and there isn't a lot that happens that allows the, an audience really, um, to use our own imaginations, you know? And so what I appreciated about this film was that, you know, by default, maybe some of this had, had to be, but, um, I thought it was a really neat choice. And I really appreciated the fact that like, you had a lot of these fight sequences and dealing with with these different monsters throughout the film, and it was handled off screen, and that it allowed you to kind of your mind to wander and and be creative and and be thinking, wow, I wonder, you know, how did this go down? And you know, uh, I I thought that was really neat. I think it really serves this movie very well in a lot of different facets, and uh, so I thought that was really quite cool. So so that was that was something that was notable uh, that. It might not work for everybody, but it certainly worked for me. And I, you know, I appreciated that. So, so we had that, um, for most of the movie, uh, you only have, you know, the, our, our main character, uh, Chris as the warrior propelling us forward, um, which this movie clocks in at a very tight 72 minutes. So you got an hour and 12 minutes. Um, and the fact that I found myself so engrossed in this movie is really a testament, testament to both. Uh, the the direction of Jordan Downey, uh, the crew bringing this thing to life, and act for, actor uh, Christopher Reig uh, working through this and really selling the role. Uh, I mean, essentially, he's got a lot on his shoulders, being that this is a silent movie and he's the he's the sole character, you know. And it's gonna work or it's not, right? So moving forward. Uh, the main character too, I, I kind of wondered how this was going to play, uh, you know, with the physicality of, of what Chris brings to the character and the way he's set up, he's almost, 
he's he's so strong looking it's really imposing and he's he's almost immortal like so i was really wondering like how am i going to connect with this character and i think between the direction of jordan and, and chris's performance they were really able to pull off humanizing the character which i don't think was as easy of a of a feat as it sounds like and the way i think they were able to make this this fly was that you really get a i, I really got a sense of through the storyline that this character is kind of past his prime you know he's kind of lumbering along um he's he's got this huge physical toll of, of being this protector of this this vast kingdom and what chris was able to do really well was really sell the physicality of of how much pain he's in and everything just kind of aches and hurts you know and uh so i i thought that was what that was definitely notable um and it's definitely a humanizing feature right um that too on the emotional side is that you know he's this this badass warrior but yet he was he lost his daughter you know and and on his watch no less right so he's got this 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 heavy baggage that he's carrying around too emotionally in that you know he he lost the one thing that he truly loved and it it was at a great cost right and so he you feel uh and, and that's another thing that chris was able to sell really well you feel his pain and his angst throughout the course of this movie and uh he really just does does a wonderful job of that um so you really feel for him um, as he's as he's kind of working through his journey uh, throughout this film, and uh, it it really works well, and so you know you're really able to emotionally connect with this character in that way and invest right, uh, which is something I always look for in horror movies. And uh, again, it's it seems like more often than not that's more of a rare thing where at the end of this film you want the payoff to work. You know, and, and you really need to be emotionally invested for for that payoff to hit and for that to be, you know, satisfying to the to the conclusion of this film. Yeah. So anyway, so there was that. Um, I think that to um, the main character uh, that there's never really a moment where I felt like what was being portrayed uh, by the warrior was either repetitive recycled boring and or having been taken out of the movie for for a variety of different reasons be in be it like poor practical effects or uh wonky like mood and or tone or pacing um so that was something that uh was really notable and i'll talk a, a little bit more about that later is that i was so engrossed in this movie you know, I felt so connected to the world and I was never at any moment taken out of it. And it was all very believable. Um, they were able to really sell this thing the, the whole way through, uh, which was great. Um, and you really track through the main character's journey in his moment to moment, day to day tick list of surviving uh, this very harsh and dangerous world, be it in, you know, the weaponry uh, that he was wielding and or working with uh the armor maintenance especially like after a lot of the fight sequences where he had to do repairs and so you saw that um when he was out hunting uh for food and and or prepping the food for meals 
Um, there was portions of this where they got into the the alchemy of of various potions and serums that were used for like holistic treatments uh, post battle in his apothecary, uh, which uh, was was really pretty rad in itself. So uh, so there's that, and then you know also too where. The warrior was summoned uh, to war against these uh, region-threatening monsters um, time and time again. You know, through all of this, you would think that that would sound boring or that it would get repetitive and a little bit monotonous, but it wasn't. Um, They were able to really, throughout the film, um, introduce, like, all these different nuanced ways of, of working through different routines in his schedule as far as what he had to do to prep himself and stay, you know, above the edge, you know. Um, One of the big things um, is that life then wasn't easy and, you know, it really mattered how well you were prepped in any one certain, you know, time. And so um, they really did a nice job of, like, integrating a lot of these, like, um, routine things that he he would go through, uh, but did them in such a way that were really kind of fantastical and fun to watch. And he had like they had all these like really cool uh, prop pieces, being these like old tools and things. And it was really kind of neat how he would get on, right? So it was fun to watch. And you know, again, I couldn't get enough of that. I just thought that that was that was really pretty awesome. So they did a really good job of that too. Um, and, you know, to kind of add on to that, I was pretty in awe of, of the detail that was put into, again, like the warrior's hut, uh, the surrounding grounds, the main character's weaponry, uh, the overall armor, the furs, the apothecary, um, all the jars and vials, uh, the monster head specifically, uh, which I had uh, previous men- previously mentioned, the primitive tools that were used throughout the film. Um, it was really, really very neat. Um, and one thing to note about that is that you know, um, I, I, I was a little bit curious, too, as to how the character was going to be set up. I mean, typically, you know, it, it's not uncommon for like a warrior type character to be one or two dimensional and that he's just this big badass dude that kind of lumbers along and slays these monsters. And that's that. Right. Um, but what was really cool is that they added a lot of depth to this character and some of the things that you don't normally see. Uh, a character of this of this sort, especially the physicality of a, of a character of this sort, is that he had to be everything to himself. He was very isolated. He was very to himself. Um, he was out away from the kingdom and the castle and everything. Um, and so he had to be his own person in all facets of life and that, you know, he went out and got the food and prepped the food and he had to mend his uh, his attire and his armor and, you know, uh, you know, maintenance, you know, his weaponry and he had to, you know, he, he got into, uh, creating a lot of the potions and different serums and stuff that he would use, uh, throughout the film, which, which is a really cool aspect. Um, and it reminded me of this really, uh, cool RPG role-playing game that I got into. It was, um, back when, it was a really young age when when I actually was introduced to it. Uh, but my dad had picked up. It was like off of like one of our first computers. I remember um, there was this uh, this like fantastical kingdom and this hero quest, and and that was actually the active title of the game was Hero Quest. And basically, 
you would set up um, with these different character types. So you could be a mage, you could be a thief, you could be a warrior, and it would give you different attributes, right? And then based on those attributes and how you set up your point systems um, would allow you to kind of develop and, and jump into these other aspects. But really, to be very successful in the game, you had, you had to be able to create your own potions. Um, you had to be able to, you know, battle on your own and, and do your own bidding. Um, you had to be your own PR machine and be able to talk with people. Um, you had to manage things like your sleep and your water intake, hydration, and your food. Um, so it was all these different things. Um, and as you kind of progressed through the game, you know, you built up your attributes based on your experience points and with talking with people, with battling, you know, different creatures in the realm and all these different things. And then you would kind of, you know, check the boxes of all these tick list items to get you through the storyline. Right. Um, so what I appreciate about that game is that you you had a character that you started off with that was, you know, very dominant in one area, but had all these other attributes that you had to kind of nurse along to get through the game successfully. And it added a lot of depth to those characters, regardless of who you picked, right? Um, or, or what physical uh, physicality or role that you, that you wanted to go with. And it seemed like this really worked well with this character in that, you know, you you had that there, you know, a lot of depth was created in that he was creating all these potions and, um, had this own methodology for, for creating those and, and doing that and, and helping himself along, uh, to make it all work. And I thought that was really kind of a neat wrinkle to, to this big bulky hulking warrior type guy. Uh, so, so I thought that was pretty neat. Um, and you really do, feel the sense of danger um in any false move or miscalculation by the main character and that might be it that might be certain death right so he had to be ahead of the curve he had to be very intellectual smart and uh about everything that he did and uh and very calculated and and that was all there and i thought that was really impressive too it was really cool um, a couple, a couple last notes about um, what what we see and that that were notable to me was that um, there are certain spots in um, in this film where you get this really cool uh, footage um, that's exceptionally beautiful. These aerial segments that were shot of the region via drone. So there's this drone footage that's kind of integrated in and. Uh, and I, th- I thought that was really notable because that really added a lot of depth to what you saw this this realm or this kingdom to be. Um, and it served it well in giving it size and scope. And it was really uh, woven into the tapestry of the film um, pretty flawlessly in that, um, you know, you got into these little segues and then you'd, you'd get these big expanses and you saw all these different environmental conditions of the region and it really kind of opened your mind to wow you know like this this thing is vast and this guy is protecting all of this area it's like good good god like what what would what would be out there in the middle of the night lurking around i mean who knows you know and that was another thing that was really cool it makes your your mind kind of wander um which was just a lot of fun so uh anyway 
you experience this for the first time, actually, this drone footage, um, at just under the four minute mark, for example. And so you get varying degrees of like environmental conditions and it really lends itself well. It's absolutely beautiful. And I was really impressed by the footage. Um, that was actually produced and credited to uh, a group called Skyview. Um, so there's that. And you get this throughout the film and it, it, it does, uh, it does really add a lot of depth to, to the film and to the space, right? So one of the last things that I'm going to highlight too um, about the film that I thought was super notable and really important, um, and it always is, it's something I always look for um, and I'm very conscious of uh, whenever I'm enjoying a film is uh, the score. And I think that's like a top three tick list thing that, you know, with any great film, you always have a very impressive score uh, more often than not um, really enhancing that experience, right? It's super important. And, and the films that are really success, successful uh, historically have always had great scores supporting them, uh, underlying it all, right? And this is no different. Um, the score is actually produced by a gentleman by the name of Nick Soul. And I absolutely loved what was done throughout this movie. Uh, sonically, this definitely enhanced and enriched the story greatly, in my opinion. Uh, you get a good sense of this right from the opening scene in this like wooded winter camp space as our main character, the warrior, sits guard of his daughter and, and himself in, in almost near isolation, kind of frozen in, in place, right? It opens up, the movie opens up, and he's kind of sitting there lumbering. He's kind of transfixed and uh it looks like he's a little woozy and in pain and it just like he snaps too and is absolutely freezing but the score just kind of creeps in and it gives this great tension which is a beautiful segue into the first monster's appearance as it's kind of stalking around the camp's per perimeter after them right um so throughout the the film there's there's this otherworldly quality to the score um, which often generates uh, like an unsettledness uh, shadowing our main character throughout his journey. And it just is, is such a support throughout this film, and it really enhances the experience. It's really, really well done. So I was a big, big, big fan of what was done sonically too. Um, so that was, that was quite cool. So uh, one thing I was going to note um, in my research, I had actually... Um, was able to, I, I wanted to give you guys uh, some supplemental information. Um, there was a really fantastic interview conducted with the director, Jordan Downey, and uh, the interview was put on um, by a group, um, it's Shockwaves Podcast, and it's a foursome. It's Ryan Turek, Elric Kane, Rebecca McKendry, and Rob Galuzzo, Rob G. Uh, so um, they put on this interview, and they did a fantastic job. The interview clocks in just over an hour, I, I believe, with Jordan. Uh, he's really well-spoken. It's a lot of fun to listen to. Um, you can you can listen to that interview uh, in their catalog if you go back. It's episode 174, um, so it's about the midpoint um, of the, the actual podcast itself, and uh, it's really worth listening to, especially if, if you seek this movie out and you enjoy it. Um, man, definitely check that out. That's a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I got uh, some of, of my research f from that, but um, I didn't highlight everything in the interview. So there's a lot of information that would be kind of fun to uh, to take away 
uh, and catch for yourself there. So if you, if you don't know about shockwaves, and I'm guessing uh, a lot of people that'd be tuned into this w- would most likely uh, know who they are. But if not, um, definitely seek them out. They're they're one of my favorite favorite. That's how I even got into podcasting or wanted to do podcasting. Uh, was was an inspiration of the, of them and what they do. Um, and they're they're oriented in the horror world. That's what they that's what they do. So um, really wonderful podcast. So definitely check them out uh, if you can. Uh, so aside from that, um, where you can find this film, I, I wanted to get to that point and just kind of give you all the, the modes of, of being able to check this out and where to check it out. Um, it, this movie or this film is a Shutter exclusive and can be viewed with a subscription direct from Shutter. Uh, so you can do it that way. Um, you can also uh, get this from Amazon Prime Video and stream it VOD as a rental in HD and or buy it in HD uh, if you so choose. And then you can actually go on Amazon Prime a Video channel and uh, subscribe for like a free trial run a shutter there uh, through Amazon Prime. So that's another mode of doing it. Um, there is a Region 1 DVD out there so you, you can get your hands on a physical copy. Uh, it seems that Amazon is carrying that. And then also there is a Blu-ray copy, uh, floating around too, but it's, a, it's, a it's not a region, uh, one, uh, version. So it's not going to likely work in most, uh, us based, uh, Blu-ray players. You'd have to have a region free, uh, Blu-ray player. So that's something to, uh, to keep in mind. Um, so overall, I wanted to get into uh, my recommendations. As far as like the, the film itself and rewatchability, uh, I found that to be quite high. Uh, and this is the second time, I, I had actually watched this for the second time in preparation uh, for setting up uh, the, the episode's content and, and the review here. Uh, and I had watched this probably, it, it's been about eight months ago, um, that I watched it initially for the first time. And, uh, I know based off of my initial watch, um, I was so engrossed in this movie. Uh, I was so enthralled with, with, with the world and the aesthetic and just like every little detail is kind of pouring over. And I just, you know, at 72 minutes, I just wasn't, I wasn't ready to be done with the movie. You know, I, I wanted more. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to report that after eight months and seeing it for the second time, um, I was just as engrossed, uh, as, as I was maybe more so actually. Um, so, you know, that, that was definitely the repeatability is a big factor for me. And, uh, and this des- definitely has it. And I'm really hopeful that, uh, you know, Jordan Downey and uh, and and the crew are, are able to come back and do more with this title and kind of expand on it. There's so much that is just left that that could be expanded on and and elaborated on and you know told. And so I think there's a whole lot more story here. So uh, so I you know I I definitely sign up for that wholeheartedly. <laughs> so uh, so I thought that was quite cool. Um, and uh, the fun factor is definitely high. Um, anything that has like these fantastical kingdoms and monsters of this sort, and you got this badass warrior doing his thing, um, just a really neat story. Um, and they did such a, a, a wonderful job with it. Definitely high on the fun factor. Um, so my overall recommendation, I would definitely highly recommend this film, especially 
you know, if if you're a fan of of the genre type being like, you know, your uh, Lord of the Rings or you're a fan of Game of Thrones, this definitely swims well in that arena, and uh, and does really well, you know, and it kind of that's it's profound being that it's such a small indie, so uh, it's quite cool. So I would definitely say that this is SLTH approved, wholeheartedly, uh, hands down, and. Uh, I will be uh, revisiting this before long again. So, so there's that. So to wrap up the episode, hopefully you've enjoyed episode one. Uh, if you've not done so, please feel free to subscribe to the show uh, and or share this with all the folks you know that might be interested. Likewise, a positive review will always help the show out tremendously. So, uh, so those things are always a big deal. Uh, to get this uh, podcast viewable to more people and uh, to help support it and keep it going. So I'd uh, greatly appreciate that. Uh, separately, you can also find the show via social media at Twitter uh, at SLTH underscore podcast and on Instagram at SLTH dot podcast. You can also track the show via Patreon website at patreon.com. Uh, and that's always greatly appreciated as well. So that basically wraps everything up here, and uh, I just wanted to say thank you for tuning in. I appreciate that, and I will be back next week with a new review for you. So take care in the meantime, and we'll be talking with you soon.